Welcome one, welcome all to another edition of Orange Fizz Twitter Space Twitter Space following Syracuse's thrashing, and I say thrashing, that might be an understatement. 95 to 66. And get this, Oakland ended the game on a 15 to 2 run. So it was even worse for the Golden Grizzlies until they came back a little against the walk-ons. Cameron is there with you, joined by Ethan Frank. And I will say, I would have started the Twitter space earlier, but I'm going to blame the JMA Wireless Dome and their lack of outlets in the press area. Wanted to charge my computer to get that article out there as soon as possible. Phone was at 3% and, you know, things happen, Ethan. Yeah, you know, you always just push blame onto someone else. As everything happens. It's okay. We move on. We're here to react live. It's a good win for Syracuse, and that's what matters. Well, the good thing is there's no one to blame on Syracuse for this game. Against Illinois, against Bryan, against St. John's, even against Colgate. You could blame a lot of faces, but it's all positives for Syracuse. And let's start with those final, what was it, five, six minutes of the first half in which Syracuse went on an 18-0 run. JG3 had two threes and eight points in that stretch. Not just that, Jesse Edwards had four of his team high 18. JG3, Jesse Edwards both finishing with 18. They only played three minutes in the second half because this game was far from over or far uh, was already over, I would say, uh, going into the second half. It was, a, what, a 19-point Syracuse lead at the half. But, Ethan, I want to start with that stretch because Syracuse was playing a lackluster first 14 minutes. They weren't playing the best. Uh, Trey Townsend for uh, uh, for Oakland had 14 of Oakland's 21 points. It was 27-21. You're looking at this team and saying, okay, this is headed toward a close score at the half but then Syracuse blew it open yeah it, it was a you even look at it further at one point I saw it was a 33 to 7 run like that is that is a pretty hefty you know amount of time that you go on a run so so credit Syracuse for that but you know I was working for another outlet and, and I sent out a tweet that said it would be nice if Syracuse could play even worse defense you know <laughs> sarcastically those first 10 minutes that was awful yeah like, it was Really bad. Oakland was just running up and down the floor, converting bucket after bucket on possession after possession. So I'm not exactly sure what Syracuse's what they changed up. You would you would know better than I were because you were there. But what was the you know was there a change in intensity or something that that changed? What's interesting is uh, Syracuse to open up the game. Why they were struggling defensively? If you remember that Notre Dame game, Jesse Edwards was unbelievable the entire game. He had no fouls for what felt like the first time in his career, picked up one about four minutes in, and that cautioned him on the defensive side. So instead of stepping up to Townsend, who was playing at the high post, he would drop down or play with his hands straight out rather than straight up. And that would allow Townsend to get easy jumpers or the easy bounce pass to the short corner, because we know better than anyone. And that being anyone that covers Syracuse, that Benny Williams and Chris Bell, they're not suitable options at the bottom of the two, three zone. So what happened was that foul, it really thwarted Jesse's ability to play aggressive on the defensive end and Oakland, I mean, to start that game, they looked like they knew how to play against a oh, zone. Very athletic. It, team, very athletic. Yeah, I mean, fast. I've seen that that coach has been at the helm for 35 plus years. It was it was a battle between the two longest tenured head coaches <laughs> in all of college basketball. So you know, over what 16, 1700 combined wins between the two of them is is very cool to see. But that was a well coached team. So 
you got to give credit to Oakland that Rocket Watts, he was on Michigan State yep. last year, right? Yep. So that's a former four or five star recruit. This is a team with talent. I, they're not very good. I mean, you look at the Ken Palm numbers. I was looking at them before the game in the 300s defense, 358th out of 363 teams. Okay. So that would be sixth worst in all of <laughs> Division One college basketball. And I think, you know, that came to fruition at the end of the first half and the second half. Yeah, the end of the first half showed how good Syracuse could be. And yes, it's against Oakland. And if you want to chime in, uh, request access, turn on your mic. We'd love to hear uh, from you guys as well. But yeah, I mean, Syracuse is a burst type team. Early on, they haven't been able to do that so far this season, but they have the ability to go on runs because of their athleticism. They can outrun teams. They can outnumber teams in transition. You know, a three-on-two can turn into a four-on-two because Jesse Edwards is 6'11", but he gallops like he's 7'3". So the end of the when I said end of the first half, that was the timer on Oakland and, and their chances uh, in the first half of that game. But yeah, no chance for Oakland at the end of that first half. Judah Mintz had a couple pretty buckets. Chris Bell with maybe the dunk of the year tied with Judah Mintz in that, I, against me, Illinois. I, from an objective viewer, I I thought Judas was better. Oh, I, I thought Judas Judas was better. Now, so I was I was at that Illinois game, yeah. and you're all over the place. You're at every right, game, right? Um, Notre Dame, Illinois, and hey, Oakland. Hey, I'm telling you, you if you can get me, if there's a chance to get me to all thirty some odd Syracuse games, I'll do it, and hopefully I can see more uh, dunks that like like Chris Bell or Judamins had. But yes, I agree with you. Judamins's dunk was better. But I'm also the culprit of looking down at my computer and trying to tweet when Chris Bell dunked on oh. dunked on was it on Rocket Watts? So I will say uh, I I played the fifth on that one. That that was my bad. But yeah, I mean this Syracuse team up and down toward the end of that first half, and and I want to focus on point distribution, minutes distribution as well. 18 points for Jesse, yeah. 18 points for Joe, and, and he had four threes in this game in his last four games. Three of uh, three of I think it was 23 or three of 25 from distance. So he showed his prowess from deep. And yes, it's against Oakland. You still have to make them. So it's a good sight to see Joe playing well from beyond the arc. Uh, I thought that his penetration was a lot like what we saw from Buddy Beheim last year. What Joe has been missing in his game throughout the first three years of collegiate ball. He was able to get Chris Bell open. The shots just weren't falling. Justin Taylor open yeah, six, too. Six. You look at the assists. I mean. 27 assists on 42 made field goals. That is re a really good sign, especially because Oakland was playing zone in the first half, and it felt like if Syracuse can pick, throw really quick passes the way teams beat them, then this is a defense you're going up in, against in practice every single right. day. So you know how to beat it. That's what Colgate has done to Syracuse the past two seasons. You look at the assists, five, four different guys with five or more assists. Joe with six. Judah with five, Benny with six, Saimir with five. And that's all up against Joe only has two turnovers. Benny has zero turnovers. Judah has zero turnovers. Saimir only has one turnover. So what is that? 22 assists to three turnovers. That's a pretty good ratio for those four players. Very, very good. Uh, I want to turn things over because you can talk time and time again about the combined 36 points for the seniors after they put up a combined 42 against Notre Dame. Let's talk about other players. Uh, uh, Chris Bell is something that I have to bring him up, right? He starts, only plays 12 minutes, pulled after three minutes in the first half, pulled after, get this, 29 seconds 
into the second half. I put out a poll on, on our Twitter at Orange Fizz. And I think we've talked about it time and time again. There's an article uh, called Believe in Chris Bell on the OrangeFizz.com. Please go check that one out. I'm about to put an article up about you know, Jim Beheim needs to just start Justin Taylor. Do you agree with me on that? I I don't know if I agree. Like I, I feel like benching someone, that just takes so much of their confidence away. But he's I, pretty much benching Chris. I, I understand that, but like players still get that, you know, build up from, you know, you're in the starting lineup. You're marked down as a starter. So like, I think if his confidence isn't already low, that will just make it lower. So why not just keep it? Do, I don't, it doesn't really matter who starts if Taylor's the one finishing the game. I agree. Taylor played 25 played 20, minutes. Obviously, this isn't a game that you're worried about who's finishing it. The walk ons are finishing this game, <laughs> but against, you know, a Notre Dame who was finishing that game. Right. It was Taylor. Right. I, I get it, but at the same time, I, what I liked from Chris Bell, and, and this was late into the first half and even the early portions of the second half when the game was out of hand, he looked better with that second unit because there wasn't as much offensive pressure on him, even though he needs to be an offensive weapon in that second unit because if it is a Saimi or a John Bola Jacques, those aren't offensive weapons. But it didn't seem like there was a lot of pressure on Chris and he could be loose. He could take the shots he wanted to take. And it wasn't, oh, Joe gets in the lane, kick it out, up. Ah, Chris Bell is shooting. Yeah. So, so that's when I look at Chris Bell, I think of him, okay, he can be a role player and maybe that's just the best role for him. I think so. When you look at Chris Bell, he's at best, what, the fourth option on offense? And, and that might be a, a stretch. Right. At best, he is the fourth option behind Joe, Jesse, and Judah, the, the triple J. And Justin Taylor might be trying to make it a quadruple, right? the quadruple <laughs> J. But yeah, with Bell, it's... You know, there were times in Syracuse's past where, you know, people came off the bench and played more than the starters. I, I like to think about the 2016 team. Daywan Coleman started at center for Syracuse almost every single game. He probably played 15 minutes, and Tyler Lydon probably played 30 off the bench. So that's the example I equivocate that to. If you bench Daywan Coleman, then you just lose him. He Like, those... There is, a, there is a value in starting Chris Bell over Justin Taylor because, one, you know kick his confidence or kick him while he's down and two that there's always the chance he just gets hot one night and, and you just keep feeding him because the most dangerous shooters are confident shooters and if Chris Bell still has his confidence I still want him shooting because he's that talented but the, the most confident I saw him was in those Brooklyn games absolutely when he was the number two guy because Joe was mitigated and Jesse had quite the little up and down stretch. I mean, from Jesse's standards, after what he had eighteen rebounds or eighteen points. How many rebounds? Only se only seven. Which which means only fifty nine rebounds in the last four games. What a shame. Uh, so I understand what you're saying. I'm still on the start Justin Taylor train. <laughs> we'll see what comes to fruition there because Syracuse has tough opponents moving forward. Maybe Chris well, Bell is just not, the, the, not for a while. I'm saying like, I'm saying in in terms of uh, in, you have that long break where you go. You go Georgetown, Monmouth, uh, Cornell, uh, Pittsburgh, Boston College, and then you get into the tough. The the yeah, you were gonna pull up the schedule. Well, I'm looking I got at the you. schedule here. Like Syracuse shouldn't lose again until January seventh at Virginia. You look at the schedule, Georgetown. That's a team that's over 150th. I, I keep bringing up Ken Palm, but it's the most reliable metric when looking at how good teams are. Monmouth is like 320th on Ken Palm. Cornell's in For the one. Defense? 
all in oh, just in all just categories. In, in, in all categories. Um, in adjusted efficiency. Um, that's taking into account offense and defense. Pittsburgh, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm gonna have to look it what up. What I'm but. saying is five games can go by in a breeze just how the first nine have gone. And can Justin Taylor start like the, the first game at Virginia? That if you're gonna start Chris Bell, I already think that I think you have to develop a role for those two players and it will be developed over the next six games. Yeah, absolutely. Pitt's probably the hardest team you're gonna face. They're right around the same as Syracuse on Ken Palm, right in that 80 range. BC's up in the 130s, and then and Louisville is awful. This is a team that hasn't won a game 0-8 in the 200s. How about Kamari Kamari Lance? He's kicking himself, right? He could yeah. be on a 5-4 and four team, but I instead know. he's on an 0-8 team. I, I also want to turn to a player that I don't know if you thought he'd play at the beginning of the season, but he's been a presence in not just uh, big moments, but in big runs. During that 18-0 run, a majority of the minutes were played by these five. Joe Girard, Judah Mintz, as it should be, Jesse Edwards, Justin Taylor, and John Bola Jacques. Uh, Jacques is playing substantial minutes, and I don't know about you, Ethan, but I think he's deserving of these minutes because of his basketball IQ. Absolutely. I, it feels to me he's a knockoff Marek. That's kind of the vibe from his play style obviously he's not the same athlete he does not he can't dribble right he does not move as well as marek does but his he can pass the ball he can get in there and rebound the ball he's got very i mean six eleven. he can tip a, a we saw him have a nice tip in there at the end of the first half he can do a lot of different things now i'm not going up you're, you're not expecting much from him but he's a person who's been developing his basketball fundamentals for what four years now on this team he's been with the program for a while and it's finally you know it's good to start seeing some dividends being paid off by Jim Beheim with the investment he made in Bullock this is a guy who tried to transfer out of the program and nobody wanted him and he came back to Syracuse so I think it's a good thing but not someone you can rely on during conference no, play. No, not at all. Yes, I definitely take it with a grain of salt and realize that outside of that Notre Dame game where he played in the final possession, he's not a player that you're going to see in the last five minutes against Virginia in close games. Yes, against Notre Dame because of his IQ, but Chris Bell will develop. Benny Williams will play better. He's been kind of on the schneid a little bit. Uh, and once those two forwards develop, then Syracuse has a complete team because in the rebounding front, Really, really good job for Syracuse. It was, it was 44 to 33, but at one point it was 42 25 before the walk ons came right. on. You already mentioned the assists. Right you, right. you look at the people that came in the game late and missed shots. Quadir Copeland, one of six, and then the three walk ons went a combined 0 of five. So, like, that's what 11, 10 missed shots right there but that fi- turn into but, but, to Oakland rebounds. 58% shooting for Syracuse. Right. No, even no, with right. That. What, I'm, what I'm saying is that, like, that's how the rebounding margin right. closes up because those players come in and miss shots and right. you're not crashing the offensive glass as hard as you were before. Yeah, I, I just I thought it was even more impressive that you, you played so poorly at the end because you, you played your walk-ons and you end up shooting 58%. You hold Oakland to 5 of 25 from three-point land. And this is a Syracuse team. I've wanted to look up the statistics over the last, what, four or five games for Syracuse beyond the arc because it's not been pretty. I love how and Jim Beheim actually got on me in the last press conference uh, or not last but it was at the Notre Dame press conference and I talked about or I asked him hey the patience of your team they know the threes aren't falling so they're getting inside and he's like it's not patience it's just thinking because we can't shoot the ball Here, first, here's the numbers. first off here's I the, disagree but. here's the numbers for you Syracuse in its first 
four games of the season didn't shoot worse than 32% from three. In its next five, it has only shot better than 32% from three one time, and that was tonight against Oakland. Went eight of 20, that's 40%, but St. John's, three of 16. Bryant, six of 24. Illinois, five of 17. 17. Notre Dame, three of 18. That's all under 30%. 17 of 75 in four games. But that's quick math from you. Right I got there. you. I got hey, that's what I'm here for. I might be here to also talk and write articles on the orangefizz.com and promote the fact that we're doing Twitter space following Syracuse's 95 to 66 win over Oakland. He's Ethan Frank. I'm Cameron. He's there. But I'm also here to tell you it's a Syracuse team that over these next couple games can reestablish itself in the record department. You're five and four at this point. You win your next five games, it might not be impressive because of the opponents. But you enter conference play with 9-10 wins under your belt, you'll look at those four losses and say, okay, we can put that in the rearview mirror. So so I ask you, what's next for Syracuse? Where do they need to make that next jump? You just have to keep winning because winning will only gain you momentum. If Syracuse loses again in the non-conference, I, I, I will be like speechless as I, I kind of am right now. Another non-conference loss, really a loss before that Virginia game is inexcusable at this point. This is, you play six straight home, or I guess it's now five straight home games, Georgetown, Monmouth, Cornell, Pitt, BC, and then at Louisville, you should win every single one of those games. And with how Syracuse played against Notre Dame, as much as I, and, and this has been the philosophy of Syracuse, as much as I want to say hunker down on the offensive side, I mean, this is a team that's shown it has to be a defensive team to have any success. Because they're, uh, against Oakland, they'll drop 95. Against Notre Dame, 62. Right, Illinois, the sixth worst defense in the country. Of course, but defensively, it is almost as important for Syracuse to play a stellar game than it is on the offensive side because Joey's an offensive threat. Jesse's an offensive threat. Same with Chris Bell, Justin Taylor, even Benny Williams at times. But if they can't lock down defensively against ACC teams that know how to score the ball, and if ACC teams aren't shooting well from the outside, they'll bully Syracuse inside, cause fouls on Jesse Edwards. Syracuse needs to to realize number one, first and foremost, yes, you have to score, but defensively you have to hunker down. Absolutely right. And and defensively it's key. Look at what happened in the Notre Dame game. Obviously a team like Notre Dame doesn't miss that many shots often. 11 Um, of 39 from three. Absolutely. And and what what does that equate to percentage wise? I wish I could give you it off the top of my head. 30, uh, 11 of 33. Oh, 33. So it's 33%. But in the second half, Notre Dame made eight threes in the first half, only three in the second half. So there's the difference in the game right there is that Notre Dame didn't shoot the ball in the last 20 minutes. So Syracuse, it it just comes down to luck as well, because when you face teams that can shoot, you're going to have to get missed shots in the zone too. Right. You're going to have to get missed shots from them because they're going to shoot the ball from behind the arc. So it comes down to luck, but it's also closing out. And as we mentioned, Chris Bell and Benny Williams have struggled with that at times. The wings in the zone, I will even say Justin Taylor struggled with it at times as well. It's going to come down to the wing play of this zone if the defense is going to take a next step. Well, that's Ethan Frank on Cameron. He's there. We're going to wrap up this Twitter space. Uh, a hurrah day for Syracuse. 95-66 winners over Oakland. Back above 500. You could check out 
my post-game article on theorangefizz.com. It's littered with a lot of statistics. So if you didn't catch all the numbers that we were spitting out, then you can catch that on theorangefizz.com. And with Georgetown upcoming on this weekend on Saturday, hey, theorangefizz.com, it will be powered by articles about Syracuse against Georgetown. Might have some old Big East rivalry flavor to it. And again, Syracuse football going to the Pinstripe Bowl at the end of December. A lot of articles posted there. But nonetheless, Syracuse, 95-66 to 66 winners over Oakland with Ethan Frank. I'm Cameron Ezer saying so long. The Cuse above 500, and they snapped the three-game non-conference skit. We'll catch you next time.